Welcome to Trust Company Talks with Bill Noble and Burke Coons. Good morning, and welcome to Trust Company Talks with Bill Noble and Burke Coons. How you doing, Bill? Doing great, Burke. Excellent. How are you? I'm Good doing morning. Never better. And uh, we are joined today by a very special guest, our very own Chief Investment Officer, Dan Tolomei, who is here to talk about all things investment-related. Good morning. How are you? Well, good morning, gentlemen. It's happy to be here. I'm great. doing well. I hope you great are. Great to have you with us, Dan. Very well. Good to see you. We don't always get to see see Dan. We're in the world of, of, of working uh, remote, we're not always together. It's a pleasure to have him here. And it's, Indeed. It's wonderful to be here. It's great. It's wonderful to be here as we emerge from the, the depths of the pandemic Indeed. and return to normalcy. <laughs> the return of the king. Here, here he comes. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dan... Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself. I know it's kind of a trite opening, but I think it'd be great just to kind of get everybody um, familiar with, with your background and, and, you know, your kind of body works. And maybe tell us just a little bit about yourself, school, family, and that sort sure, of thing. Sure, sure. So I was uh, I, I was born and raised in uh, in upstate New York in a town called Auburn, uh, just outside of Syracuse, which is affectionately known as uh, the prison city. The, <laughs> Uh, I've, presence. Never, I've never heard that actually. The prison city, because uh, of the there's a maximum security prison actually right in the middle of the town. Oh, uh, wow! So we've we've become known as as the prison city in many different uh, many different ways, and uh, <laughs> they've kind of embraced it. So um, as as normal as as life can be with that environment, that's that's where I grew up and uh, went on to uh, go to school at, at St. Bonaventure University, uh-huh. which the is Bonnies. just just south of Buffalo, home of. Uh, Bob Lanier, the, uh, the, the NBA foot. great Bigfoot, yes, <laughs> Sasquatch. <laughs> uh, but after uh, after school, my wife and I moved down to to North Carolina, and I actually I live in Durham now with my wife Kim and our and our three boys, uh, oldest of which is eight. So plenty going on on the home front on any, sure. at any given You've moment. Got some young ones, yes, uh, always always entertaining though. I'll, I'll say that. All right. Well, that's excellent. That's excellent. Yeah, Dan. Dan, um, it's been been a real pleasure to work with you over the years, and you know I can remember when you first came to the firm. Um, from tell us a little bit about where you were before and how 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 you came to be, you know, the chief investment officer. Sure. Yeah. No. It's it's uh, it, it's a path that started. I guess back in '02, I started with Smith yeah. Breeden Associates, which was a, a fixed income shop over in Chapel sure. Hill. And uh, started out there with uh, their financial institutions group, doing some consulting work with uh, their banking clients. And over time, through a couple of reorganizations, ended up in their operations group doing performance measurement. And that kind of led me to uh, the CFA program, mm-hmm. which was has a big component of performance measurement and performance standards. And so as I got more immersed in, in studying for that, I started to really realize how much interest I had in, in personal finance and mm-hmm. financial planning and uh, really – Wanted to pursue that, and so I, I took the CFA exam and, and passed that, and then started to look for opportunities, uh, working more with individuals, looking for less institutional work, and looking for um, situations where I could have more of an impact on clients and see that impact. Mm-hmm. Dan, one thing I think might be helpful for our audience talk, talk about when you say the CFA program. Yeah, we we're, we live in that world and that space, but um, talk about a little bit about that designation and what it really means to the you know to the. To the general public, sure, yeah, it's it's uh, so CFA stands for the Chartered Financial Analyst, and and the way I think is probably easiest for folks to to kind of digest that is uh, in our world there's there's a lot of folks that carry the CFP, the Certified Financial Planner designation, right. 
And to use a kind of a medical analogy, CFP is kind of like a, a general practitioner, whereas a CFA is more of a specialist. So the the uh, the study curriculum is very focused on investments specifically. Uh, while it does touch on personal finance kind of across the board, it's very heavy on the investments uh, right. piece of it. No question. Yeah, that's 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 a great way to break it down. I think uh, you're a specialist. <laughs> I wish I'd I wish I'd done it when I I mean I, I went and got my MBA after uh, undergrad um, at the time it it seemed like you could do one or the other but now it's really you know it, the, it's, the industry's begin to specialize uh, I don't know I'm, I've been a little bit jealous of UCFA types ever since <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of work I mean it's 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 the highest degree one can attain in our business i guess as far as the invest as far as the investment piece goes i think i think is that, would that i think that's assessment? i think that's fair to say I mean, yeah. it's a it's a fairly rigorous um uh, process it's a, it's a three-year program you got to pass three exams and have work experience uh that, that kind of ticks all the boxes <clears throat> uh, so they really kind of push you through the, the ringer but uh i think at the end result is you get you know hopefully some folks that um you know are qualified to, to, to kind of represent the designation well, tell us how you came to work at, at Trust Company. I mean, you've been here a lot longer than I have, but uh, so maybe this would be this would be insightful for me as well. Yeah, but, yeah. but, uh, but you know, kind of, you know, how did all that happen, and, and what were your first impressions of the firm? Yeah, uh, so I, I uh, let's see, I've been with the firm about fifteen years now. So I was just by pure good fortune looking for uh, looking for opportunities again, kind of more with personal mm-hmm. finance uh, in, in late '07. Right as things were starting to to really get spicy, get spicy, and uh, <laughs> and it ended up being great timing that that I that I made the move uh, to change firms when I did. But but I had been looking for quite some time yeah. and trying to find an opportunity that was uh, going to allow me to what I wanted to do, but also in an environment that wasn't uh, a sales job. Right, I wanted to to work in finance. I wanted to serve clients and, and with. Um, you know, with their best interest in mind and, 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 and do things that, you know, I thought I was doing right by, by my client mm-hmm. and I felt, uh, you know, a company I felt good about right. and I could sleep at night knowing I did a good job and, and wasn't just out there selling products. Right. You weren't in production. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Right. Yeah. yeah. I can remember, I, if, if I could comment on that, I, I, re, I was on that committee when we, we actually hired you and I remember we interviewed several people dirt when we were going through that phase and Dan just had a, uh, a calmness about him and a uh, <laughs> uh, uh, a presence that resonated with with everybody in our firm that was in that the decision making process when we engaged you. I can so, totally you know, see that. <laughs> and he's he's only he's proven to be exactly what we thought he would be. Well, so that's that's kind of you to say. As, as I recall, the biggest hurdle getting in the door was the uh, my allegiance to the Blue Devils. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we did talk about that. We did. We were glad to know that. Go ahead, go ahead and get those things out of the way early. Yeah, yeah. And, and due to the fact that this, the Bonnies have not been that competitive since their, their days of bobbling there. That's right. Got to have a backup. <laughs> we, we're happy to have Dan. Yeah, that's right. So, no, but, I, you know, just, just kind of the last point I'd say there is yeah, I was just kind of in disbelief at, at what a, uh exciting opportunity it was, to, you know, to find Trust Company and to find the opportunity with, you know, a firm that, that mm-hmm. I was looking for and to meet, you know, Bill and, and Bill Smith and uh, – and I just I haven't looked back. It's just been one of the best decisions I've made in my life. You've done a great job for us, and uh, you were in a more junior position when you came in originally. But you've you have ascended to the chief investment officer, and I, I, I'm so happy for 
not only our firm, but for our clients because you've done such an outstanding job. So we're really glad to have you. Well, thank you. Thank you, Bill. That's kind of you to say. Sincerely mean it. Well, let's talk about what the position – I mean – you know, you've ascended to this great role, chief investment officer. It sounds, you know, uh, you know, like a very important position, and it, and it is one. But, but talk. You know, every, every firm has a little bit different. Um, that's, has a different meaning for different firms. I mean, talk about maybe what your responsibilities are here, so people understand exactly how you spend your days. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I think the probably the the, the biggest um, uh, role I have in, as, as CIO is uh, is heading our investment committee. Mm-hmm. And so that's a you know, group of, of members that are both trust company employees and also members of our board that uh, we sit down on a, on a quarterly basis and just talk about uh, things that have happened in the market, things that we're seeing in the market. Uh, we don't get too predictive, but we, you know, we definitely keep our finger on the pulse of what's happening. Uh, and we make decisions about allocations. We make decisions about where to uh, invest our money, how to invest our money. Uh, and so I think that's, that's a big part of it. It's just kind of you know, building and shaping strategy. And then kind of between meetings, a lot of my time is spent uh, kind of doing traditional, I guess, portfolio management mm-hmm. duties, you know, managing uh, client accounts, harvesting losses for our clients, trying to add value in, in a lot of ways that, that we think we can on the investment side. Um, and then also talking to, to clients, you know, helping get our message out there uh, and the prospects also too, helping to uh, hopefully grow the firm and, and kind of get the... Uh, share the message and the opportunities that I think trust company uh, can bring to folks that um, that align with our kind of our uh, thought process. Right, right. Yeah. So, so as you, it, that kind of is a good segue into what I was going to ask you next. You know, you're you're as chief, as chief investment officer, you're, you're the chief architect of our of our uh, investment strategy. Can you talk a little bit about our, our investment philosophy and kind of the way that we that we do manage portfolios? Sure. Yeah, that's it's uh, that's a great question, and and. You know, I think we're, we're different at Trust Company in the sense that we are, uh, you know, we're not out there making bold predictions. We don't, you know, pretend to have a crystal ball. We know no one has that. And so our approach is really uh, focused on controlling the factors we can and, and, and trying to use uh, data and probabilities to, to build a, a, a client portfolio in such a way that it tilts the odds of success in their favor. And so, it, you know, we talk about initially having a discussion with our clients about their their return objectives and their risk tolerances and their time horizons, and, and that stuff's all important um, to kind of set the, the broad framework. But then beyond that, it becomes a discussion of you know what can we control from here? How can we build that portfolio in the smartest way? Can we get rid of concentrations? Can we uh, pursue investments that and uh, and positionings that have provided investors and what we'd expect to have higher returns uh, in doing so? Uh, and so we try to avoid the, the risks and, the, and diversify away the things that we can get mm-hmm. rid of, but then also target the things that, that we've, you've been compensated for in the past, we would expect to be compensated for in the future. And then lastly, we want to do all that at, at the lowest possible cost. We're very sensitive to cost, to trust company. Um, keeping, uh, keeping those costs down keeps that money in the, the client's portfolio for growth or for their, for their use right. in the future. No question about it. Yeah, and I think the... You also look at everything from a tax lens with everything we do. I, I know that's been a very important uh, component of how we manage portfolios. Uh, we're, we're, we're very aggressive on the tax loss harvesting, harvesting front. So t- talk a little bit about that, for instance. I think especially in markets like we're dealing with currently, it can be a very effective strategy. I was, that might be something worth sharing. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, I think that again, comes back to that concept of, of focusing on the controllable. 
Um, and so there's, you know, the opportunity when we do have a market sell off to, to sell investments at a loss, um, and turn around to reinvest that money in something similar. And what that does is that creates that loss that you can carry on to your taxes and help offset gains elsewhere in the portfolio, which ultimately lowers your tax liability. And so that's one of the things that, um, you know, that we bring to the table. I think one of the values that we bring at trust company is, is actively, you know, looking at our portfolios for opportunities like that, uh, being mindful of the investments that we're using, that they're not uh, throwing off a bunch of taxable gains to it. Because ultimately, it's it's wonderful to have a a, a great uh, pre-tax return. But if you're going to lose a big chunk of that to when you pay your taxes, then ultimately, it's, that's less money in your pocket. Mm-hmm. So we want to keep that, that bill as low as we can for our clients. No question. So... Um, some folks know that we have a great partner in uh, in dimensional funds. We work closely with, with dimensional, you know, and maybe the the largest mutual fund company that nobody's ever heard of, you know, because of the way they go to market, you know, with the work with with fee fee only advisors like ours, um, and but they have a fairly differentiated approach to investing. Uh, would you want to take a, a second or two and describe dimensional and kind of how we use dimensional? I'd be happy to. Yeah, it's. Um yeah, they're, they're a very uh, unique group, uh, and I think the you know kind of the differentiators is kind of how they approach the market, and I think it's it's useful to compare them to uh, kind of other options in the marketplace. And so, unlike a, a conventional stock picker, they're not trying to outsmart the market, but they're also not trying to uh, just capture the market return like an index fund might. Mm-hmm. And and so what they're doing is they're using research and empirical data to. Uh, to excuse me, identify parts of the market that are worth overweighting mm-hmm. and parts of the market that may make sense to underweight, just in, again, in, in search of a higher expected return. Uh, and so that's kind of the basis for the portfolio. But then I think the, the next part of what makes them different and attractive to us is the, the flexibility and the patient trading uh, that they can implement. And so an active manager, for example, as a stock picker, may have their eyes on a certain name that they really want to get their hands mm-hmm. on. And, and an index manager is, is very similar in the sense that when they have to, to rebalance because S&P or Russell tells them to, uh, they have to buy names at a certain time. And that can, that can create some rigid, rigidity in, right. um, in the portfolio management. And so, so dimensional, not having to – not trying to outsmart the market again and not trying to just stick to a mimic benchmark. Mimic index, right. Right, not to mimic. So they're, uh, what they're going to do is they're going to have that flexibility to buy things that, that fit the portfolio and do it so when it makes sense for them. And ultimately what ends up – uh, being the result is they end up getting better execution. Mm-hmm. So they can buy at more attractive prices. They can sell at more attractive prices. The expense ratios in the fund are low. And so the combination of um, the low ongoing expenses and the low trading costs, successful implementation, and, and a good uh, strategy that's been proven out over time ultimately is what, what makes us so uh, confident in their approach and, and why we're so proud to be a partner with them and, mm-hmm. and the way they, they manage money. Right. Yeah, that's well put. I, I think that the, one of the good things about dimensional is is that we use them as a. They're they're a. Our philosophies are very similar. Right. I guess you would agree with that, Dan. A- absolutely. But we are yet we are we are separate firms, and we we are we are from from my perspective when I'm when I'm I get asked this a lot when I'm talking to folks out out <clears throat> in the out in the, the field out in the field. Mm-hmm. That the philosophies are very similar, but we're not uh, doing everything exactly like Dimensional does. We, we they're a tool, and right. no, they're a great partner. And yep. we, yeah, and we're able to create portfolios for our clients. We don't cookie cut 
all of our clients' portfolios. We, we, we take a lot of their macro ideas and put those to work across the board, but then we customize it for other clients on a, on a more of a, a micro level. Is that a, is that a fair fair way to put it? Uh, yes, I, I, it's um, certain clients have different needs, different income needs, risk tolerances. What you know, however you want to put it, ex- exactly. And uh, I think you know, come back to your point about you know the alignment of our philosophies. There's uh, there's I think four or five, maybe even six now uh, Nobel laureates. That are, that are affiliated with dimensional. So that it's a real brain trust of, uh, of kind of a who's who in finance. And so yeah, there's, no there's a lot of, um, you know, respected research that comes out of dimensional. It's affiliated with them. There's a very successful track record that is uh, affiliated with it, with implementing those ideas successfully. But, but to your point, Bill, I mean, I think you're spot on. I mean, we are, uh, well, we buy into a lot of what they kind of what they preach. Um, at the end of the day, we have our own investment committee. And you know, we, uh, you know, we use funds beyond dimensional. We've used Vanguard, we've used BlackRock, we've used other managers in the past. And you know, at your point too, you know, it's it's not a case of dimensional saying jump and, and us asking how high. You know, we there's plenty of things that they offer on their menu that, that we've decided not to implement, or we've maybe you decided to use different weights in our portfolio. Um, and, and we're not tied. We're not tethered to them. I mean, they make exactly. sense for us at, at the moment, and and we have no imminent plans to change. But that said. You know, we get called upon by the who's who of of, sure. of money managers, and so we have always have the option, you know, to, to change strategy if we think it makes sense. But it, it happens to be at the moment that they are uh, have been a wonderful partner and, right. and continue to be. A, we think. A, well, I mean, at the end of the day, the, the philosophies lined up so well. I mean, I think we, you know, just it's almost uh, it's almost sort of a, a, a genetic uh, characterization of of the investors within our firm. It's you know, we are. We're value people, you know, and, and we follow the evidence and that's sort of what, that's exactly what dimensional preaches. You know, we're, you know, we skew toward value. We skew a little bit toward small cap versus large cap and, and, you know, we skew toward quality. And these are, and, and the reason is because it's, it's in the empirical data, which is a lot of what dimensional brings to the table. But it's, it, unless we're going to dispute, you know, what the empirical data says, then, then there's no reason to, yeah, that's great. <laughs> to, 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 to dip, you know, to, to veer off onto a different road. Um, uh, and I mean, I, I just think it's, 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 you know, the two philosophies existed apart and we have found a way to express that. And it's through them as a, as a great partner, which I think. Is yeah. Yeah. Cool. That's a great point, Burke. And, and, and another thing that we, we agree with them very much on is that we invest globally. We're not, we're not just uh, <laughs> committed to only investing in companies that's in the United point. States. And th- that, Last couple of years, the you know, the big companies out of the United States have done real well. Last couple of months, they haven't done so great. But uh, there is a there is a real case for being globally diversified and w- within multiple asset classes for our clients. And I think over the long term, you know, you would agree, and you could pontificate on that if you want to about. And the well, case why, for international, why, yeah. Why yeah. you should, yeah. The case for international, the the case for emerging markets, right? Yeah, and, you know things things of that nature. Talk about that a little bit about the global markets, if you will. It's it's interesting. It's it's a conversation that um, you know comes up periodically, and as you as you know, Bill, it, it it's kind of come up recently because international has lagged. Um, you know that, but that said, I mean that's it's easy to kind of look at the last you know five ten years and say that that's been the case, and you know why do we need why do we need right. international? 
And so it's, I, and then this is one of the things I think we do really well at Trust Company is, is providing perspective. And so if you look back, not just 10 years, but maybe 20, 30, 40 years, it's not unusual to see domestic outpace international for a while. And then the, the tide turns and, and, uh, you know, then, you know, all of a sudden domestic stocks are, are lagging. Um, but, it, but again, it's one of those things we don't know when it's going to happen. Right. Mm-hmm. And so you want to be globally diversified kind of at all times and have that exposure because you don't know when, when the tide is going to turn. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, it's, it's useful. This, this kind of comes back to our investment committee discussion. So, you know, to try to guide that decision, you know, we're not using, again, we're not going to make a big prediction, but we're going to look at things like valuations in international markets relative to the U.S. And, and as of late, you know, it looks like international stocks are priced to deliver better returns. And so, you know, we make we may make a change to the investment committee to to up our exposure, for example, to international and decrease mm-hmm. domestic, just because uh, valuations are more attractive. We think the better returns are going to be there. It fits into kind of that natural buy low, sell high. You know, the, right. what we're all trying to do as investors. Right. Again, we're not we're not we're not just just uh, you know putting our fingers in the air and saying we think international is going to be better next year. It's like we're looking at okay, well, valuation is X and relative value versus. The United States or you know, domestic is is what it is, and so we're just we're, we're just following what the numbers are telling us. We're, when we were we're looking at expected returns based on historical data, and and you know we're we're not trying to to make a giant market call. Right. That, that's 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 spot on. Yeah. And from spot my on. and from my perspective, both you guys, Burke and Dan, y- y- y'all's job is is y'all sit in a lot. I've heard y'all in a million meetings, sit in and talk. A lot of people just want to hear. What's going on currently and how's that affecting their portfolios? But we are really committed to the long term with our clients. We're, 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 most of our clients are in the preservation and growth mode. So they're not looking for us to hit grand slam home runs for their, for their portfolios. So I think it would be great to talk a little bit about, cause this always comes up in meetings with clients or potential clients, what the role of invest, investor behavior plays in the investment success of that specific investor. Yeah. Before we move to that, yeah. though, I want to make okay. clear that, that yeah. I mean, you, we've got growth in our portfolio. Oh, yes, it's not as if we yes, don't no have question. it. I mean, this is not, this well is put, not yeah. just like put it into a, into a safety deposit box. I mean, like right. yeah. the portfolios do well and there's growth there. It's just that we often skew toward value over growth, all else equual, and we'd skew toward yeah. Small versus all this equal, but it's, well made, but, it, yeah. but it's not as if we don't own a lot of you know growth and exciting opportunities, right? And, and I think that's again that's that kind of comes back to how we're different than dimensional. Mm-hmm. So it, it's for years, and dimensional was was very focused on on value offerings, and they were very successful doing so, but they didn't really have a growth offering. Mm-hmm. And so we again we're, we've got our own in, independent investment committee that said we think growth has a place in the portfolio mm-hmm. and so we've had exposure via vanguard for for years and and thankfully so because growth has as we all know has had a tremendous run over mm-hmm. the last decade until you know the last couple of years but um you know that that's a classic example i think of of how, how we think independently uh from dimensional you know right. and, so, and so we we do our own we kind of we uh marched to the beat of our own drum kind of mm-hmm. um and, and again, that pays. That happened to pay off in this case, and and independent thinking can can, can benefit us. Right, right. Yeah, that's a good point, Burke. I, I mean, right now, a typical portfolio. If a client was a, if we had a client who was in a hundred percent equity portfolio, which not all of our clients are, but if we did have a client who was an aggressive investor and wanted to be all in equities, 
And if you if you did want to include private equity, I'd, I'd love for you to talk to talk a little bit about private equity. But how many typical asset classes? I think it'd be worth sharing how many how much diversification we offer uh, to a, to an investor uh, through through the different avenues that we we utilize. Right. It's it's. Um it's broadly diversified. Uh, it's and it's. I kind of think of it in tiers, and so it's you know kind of that top tier. You have that geographic diversification you know, between the U.S. and international markets, both developed and emerging. Uh, but then you kind of you kind of drill down into any one of those markets. Let's just say the U.S. and you've got representation in, in large caps and and small caps and value stocks and growth stocks, and all those are broadly diversified across the different sectors of the economy. Right. And so and that you know that brings with it the benefit of diversification, which is, you know, again, we don't know the future. No one knows what's going to be the best performer going forward. But we know that if we're broadly diversified, we're going to have some exposure to the winners. And we're not going to be overly exposed to the losers in the portfolio. It's, uh, I think one of the, the best quotes I've heard on that is Jack Bogle, the, the founder of, of Vanguard, said one time, uh, you know, rather than look for the, the needle in the haystack, just buy the haystack. Mm-hmm. You know, just mm-hmm. you're guaranteed to have the, the winner in your portfolio if you just if you own the, the broad asset class. Mm-hmm. And not only the American only haystack, the international haystack. Exactly. exactly. Right. <laughs> right. That's yeah. a kind That's of a way to look at it. Um, talk about private equity a little bit and our exposure and certain clients that that's been a big kind of a hot, hot area over the last several years and, and how we how we have. Uh, Incorporate that into clients' portfolios and, and, and what the role that plays. Sure, it's um, and so I, I think kind of high level the 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 attractiveness or the benefit really comes from the, the kind of the low correlation with traditional uh, publicly traded assets, and so you know private equity may behave differently than public stocks and may behave differently than than fixed income. Kind of exactly what you're looking for when you're building a diversified portfolio. Uh, I, I think what makes it unique is that uh, it, it, it doesn't have the same accessibility to it. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, whereas I want to get out of a mutual fund, I can sell that fund and have money the next day. You know, by giving up that liquidity in something like private equity, uh, you can earn a premium. There's, a, there's an illiquidity premium to tying your money up and, and letting the, the private equity manager invest into longer-term strategies and growth. And that's that's provided you with a higher higher expected return in the past. And and really, we've seen a lot of interest in that recently, uh, but before kind of the, the, the sell-off we've seen in 2022, uh, where markets had had a phenomenal run coming out of the financial crisis, and a little blip there with the, with the COVID pandemic in, in 2020. But really, valuations were stretched, and, and investors and clients were looking for equity-like returns in a market that was very richly valued. And so private equity kind of is a natural, um, I think, extension of the equity portfolio to say, okay, I, I'm willing to take, you know, give up some liquidity. I'm willing to bear the risk. I've got the right time horizon. This is an asset class that can provide me with a return that I maybe historically would have got from public equities that, that may not deliver in the future. Yeah, that's well put. And, and what I think is so fascinating about the class at this stage is, is that, you know, for, for years it's been, dis- it's been described as, well, you have this liquidity premium that you're going to earn, but you know, that you're going to, or because you're not, you have to give that up when you allocate to the class. But it also forces a longer term horizon, and you allow that compounding to take place. You're almost like you're almost getting paid uh, for you're giving up liquidity, but that's going to that's going to help you anyway, which it, is kind of kind of enforces discipline. Yeah, it, it does. Yeah. 
It does. Um, and that was that, I was going to tie that into you were headed towards uh, yeah, yeah, the behavioral the behavior. part. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, and maybe talk about this kind of the behavioral component to you know to you know, what we're doing here and on the investment committee to right. Well, I guess it's not it's not really just an investment committee issue, but but you know the role of the invest investor behavior as we kind of look at it. Right. Yeah. It's it's um it's it's interesting. You know, we talk so much about building a. a a financial plan, you know, having that discussion about what are we trying to do with the portfolio, being thoughtful about building the asset mix, picking the managers, but ultimately it's it's of no use if we don't stick to that plan. And, and so that's, I think, one of the, the greatest values we can add as advisors is helping clients uh, stick to their plan. You know, A, right from the outset, making sure that it's something that, that makes sense for them, that's going to let them achieve their goals and something that we think they can sleep with at night and, and aren't going to feel the need to abandon if markets get choppy. Uh, and I think we do that largely by providing perspective. I mean, it's, it's um, you know, when things happen, you know, let's use COVID again as, as an example, you know, it's it's scary. You know, uncertainty is is scary. And what we can do as advisors is provide perspective that we've seen, for example, equity markets sell off before and you know all these different scenarios are different but the the market reaction is the same you know there's uncertainty that gets priced in and ultimately markets recover they find a way to process the new environment uh, or the or the new news that's been priced in and ultimately they recover and they pr- they provide investors with a return that's that's commensurate with the risk level that they're taking and that's that's a big part of, of earning that equity return over time is having exposure to that uncertainty and staying in your seat uh, and so I think, you know, doing things like that kind of help us as advisors to to help our, our investors and our clients to to stick to that plan and not let, you know, the emotions of investing derail them. Well, that's Yeah, that's a great point because, I mean, investing is when it's your money, it's a very emotional issue. And one of the greatest part of our one of the greatest values that we bring to bear that you and Burke and, and all of our investment specialists when we're we're when we're getting down to brass tacks talking to whether it's a a a individual investor or an endowment or foundation something something to that effect is 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 reinforcing that discipline and helping them stick with the plan because it's been proven over time that if you do that the odds are in your favor of having a successful investment experience. I think there's no question about that. Um, I got a note. It just made me think of something recently. I, I received a note. I took a client out to dinner the other night and he wrote me the night, the kindest note about thank, thank you for everything trust company does. And he said, thank you for safe, for saving me from myself. <laughs> right. And, 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 it, and I was thinking about how eloquent that was and, and how humble on his part it was. Cause this is a very successful person who a very well-known professional in Raleigh, who's a good client who um, said, you know, I just keep, Throwing I used, before I became a client of y'all, I used to throw things at the wall all the time. The latest, greatest investment, uh, you know, the, the latest and greatest story mm-hmm. that hit him, he would want to throw some money at it. So he never really had a plan. And he said, the biggest value, one of the biggest values we've mm-hmm. added is, is instilling discipline to help him stay on track. And uh, so all that technical stuff is very super important, but you have to, you have to, have to stick with it, don't you? Yeah, absolutely, and and um, you know I think that's that's so true of our of our client base is we work with so many you know wonderful and successful people that are, are focused on other things, right? And so they either you know, don't have time 
you know, to focus on this fully, give it the attention it needs, or, or maybe just don't have the interest. And that's because they're off doing, you know, better things yeah. for, with their, with their time elsewhere. And, and that's fine. You know, that's, but that, you know, it's something that we can do. We can provide that, that discipline and that focus. Um, and I, and we've talked over the years, many times, a lot of our most successful clients end up being, uh, you know, kind of institutional type clients because they have a formal plan. They've got mm-hmm. an investment policy statement and a board that is in charge of adhering to it. And, you know, that, again, that injects that discipline that is, is so critical in, in having a successful investment experience is having a plan and sticking to it. Yeah. That's well put. Talking about, uh, about you know, changing markets, um, you know, you've now been with the firm here for 15 years. Talk about how the firm has, has changed and grown over the years in your mind. It's, yeah, it's, it's, it's been an exciting ride for, for 15 years. Um, th- there's, is it's, uh, it's been exciting to watch us um, to watch us grow, obviously as a business, but also to see. One of the most exciting things I think has been how we've expanded our 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 um, our talent base. I mm-hmm. mean, to bring on uh, you know experts in, in estate planning, to bring on more investment specialists, to uh, to to increase our our kind of getting the word out there and getting the offering out there as a bigger firm. Uh, that that's all been really exciting and. You know, not to say that it hasn't come with some with some growing pains. I think any business is going to experience that. But uh, but to watch us watch us grow has just been really exciting. And, and to know that you know we just keep adding talent to people, and and uh, the team just gets stronger every day. Well, that's a very kind thing for you to say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel humbled here to be sitting here with two of our, our two investment gurus here within the firm. Uh, just sit here and compliment each other. Yeah, just love that. <laughs> Um, well, people often expect a chief investment officer to make bold predictions about the future of the market. You know, that's not really how we we operate. Um, uh, you know, we're a little more long term. But you know, but but when people ask you when you're whether you're out in public or at a cocktail party or, or wherever, I mean, how do you you know what, what do you say? What's your response to that question, which must come up a lot? It, it uh, well, this time of year too, we're sure. all, all socializing and and. Uh... And I think people just kind of know you're in the field. You know, they find mm-hmm. out you're in, you're in the financial services industry, and they assume that you've got the inside track on something. And and you know, I think when I when I started with the firm, especially when I when I took the CIO role, it was kind of this uh, assumption that I had to have an answer for that question. And so, you know, I've, I've kind of got comfortable over the time over time of saying, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. frankly, I, I I don't know any more than you do. I mean, as far as what's going to happen, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I work in this field. I'm, I have my finger on the pulse a little more than the average person. But ultimately, the, we, nobody knows the future, right? But what we do know, and I think this ties in well to our investment philosophy, is we know what's happened in the past, right? We know, not that it's going to repeat itself, but we know, we talked about you know volatile markets. Markets sell off. We've seen that. We've seen them recover. We've seen interest rates rise. We've seen inflation. We've seen all these things over the years, and we've we've survived it. And and so while we don't know what's going to happen tomorrow, we can't plan for that. We can plan for what might happen, right? And so we, we've, we have a plan and a diversified portfolio. Then whatever plays out, we're going to be in position to capture, you know, uh, again, that uh, the return that's commensurate with the level of risk that you're taking. Right, and no more. And no more. Right. Exactly. Right. 
Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I think you're being very humble when you say we don't know. But I mean, you, you, I've seen I have actually sat in meetings with you when somebody was asking about a bond duration. And I watched you just get so down in the weeds with this gentleman. And he was his eyes were spinning. He, he couldn't believe how much you knew about bond durations. But um, Dan, you are you've been an integral part of our success and uh, have added so much value for our clients and our and. Uh, we're just happy to have you as part of our team and um, want to just thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to, to talk with Burke and I on Trust Company Talks and wish you a happy holiday season and thank you for your time. Burke, Burke you have anything else? No, that's it. That's great. I mean, it's great to see you. Well, this has been a great, this is great. We're a great way to spend a rainy morning out here. <laughs> well, well, thank you. It's, it's a, you know, been a pleasure to sit here and, and chat with you guys and, uh, you know, just to kind of, to, kind of wrap you know coming back to one other thing here about how the, the company's grown i think one of the things that's been so special here is uh, the things that haven't changed i mean the the the, the, the family feeling we, we've grown as a family but it feels to me just as close-knit as the day i started at trust company that's, and so we got point. we got some new faces but you know it's it's a joy to come to work with with folks that that you know and you like and you can trust and um this has just been a, another great example of spending time with, with folks like that. Well, so thank you. <clears throat> well, you're most welcome. Thank you, sir. Mr. Talmay, we appreciate your time. <laughs> thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, Dan. Good to see you. Likewise. Thank you for listening to Trust Company Talks. These opinions are intended as entertainment. Any opinions expressed on this podcast by Bill Noble, Burke Coons, or anyone else are not necessarily those of Trust Company of the South. There is no guarantee that these statements, opinions, or forecasts provided herein will prove to be accurate. Any information is not a complete summary or statement of all available data necessary for making an investment decision and does not constitute a recommendation. These materials are not intended to be tax or legal advice. Your readers are encouraged to consult their own legal tax and investment advisor before implementing any financial strategy.